and welcome to the first episode of Mark Explaining. I suppose it's technically the second episode, but our first real episode, the first episode that you may have listened to if you haven't yet and you want to hear a little bit of a, the vision behind this podcast, just go back and listen to the first episode on here wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is an interview between myself and Detroit comedian Paolo Buzignani. This is an absolutely hilarious conversation along with some, honestly, some unexpected deep moments, uh, some very emotional moments. This is one of my m- most favorite interviews that I've ever done with someone thus far. And so really excited for you to meet Paulo. And uh, yeah, with without further ado, we're going to jump right into it. Honestly, we were having a conversation and I just decided, you know, I'm just going to hit the record button and just let this go. And uh, so it'll jump into a conversation about uh, his hockey career. He, he plays goalie. And so uh, a couple names might be tossed around you may be familiar with or not. But uh, we're talking a little bit of hockey for the first about minute or so. And then it jumps in to conversations about comedy and marriage and divorce and kids and beyond. So enjoy. A lot of the time, like when Marty would come out with us. He, Marty uh, Turco. Marty Turco. He would show me a lot of things that I had just no idea that it was even possible. And just watching him play too, I mean, he just made it look like we didn't know what the hell we were doing. The first time that we played out there was on the Olympic ice, and that's a lot bigger than the regular ice that we're used to yes. playing out. So I always go behind the park, behind the net and stop the park. And either I just leave, most of the time just leave it, or I'll just put up the board for him. Well, I didn't realize how far much further it was. So I get whoop, whoops, well, where the hell did they go? It's just still in the corner because it's so close. Yeah. Sorry, guys. You got to go get that one yourselves. I can't, uh, can't get that for you. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, how long have you been playing goal? About 25 years. 25 years. It's my dad's friend, the oldest goalie I've ever, you know, you see those goalies on the like the old timer game kind of thing they bring back the guys and the goalies are always the ones that can't play yeah you know once you hit a certain age you're pretty much you're pretty much done at least in the butterfly there's no butterfly happening there anymore you're a you're a permanent stand-up goaltender uh but my parent my dad is his friend he used to play but like my dad you know my dad was in his in his 20s and the guy was in his 40s and he was a goalie and he still plays he's like 77 years old now and still plays goalie every week multiple times in a week i don't know if he goes down i couldn't do that anymore my hips are screaming at me for like four days after i play right yeah i know just just playing hockey in general your hips are are all over the place uh so this is mark's planning my name is mark paul and my guest on the show today Paolo, you're going to say your last name. Buzignani. Buzignani. Yes, that's spelled B-I-Z-U-L-X-P. That's pretty much about it, too. Right. I had that name in school, like, as soon as they stopped. I'm like, I'm, I'm right here. I mean, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even have I mean, you, you have stop. a first name that no one else has. You probably weren't in a Paolo, class with too yep. many Apollos, right? No. No, I couldn't think of one in all the years of school, not one. Yeah, that's... My name, my name on the flip side, everyone just says Paul Mark. Uh, Paul? No, no, it's, I, I know, I, I know you were, you were at the P's, so I know it's me next. Uh, I am actually Mark. For some reason, it's everyone else's last name first and then first name, but then they get to me and they get confused. Like, it's all the same in the little book or whatever you have. It was always the, uh, uh, P. 
Paola Pablo. <laughs> pa- Pablo. Pablo. <laughs> Pablo, honey. Are you washing your ass, Pablo? <laughs> no, like, Pablo. I said, like, uh, lady, I'm not a Navajo. All right. It's Paolo. 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 At, at least Paolo at least gets the right letters in Julio? there. Julio? Yeah, Julio. Julio. It, yes. Julio totally. Sure. The P is si- silent and the <laughs> H is assumed. <laughs> Just make up stuff as we're going along. Yes, perfect. So you're a comedian. Yes. And uh, you've been doing for how long? Six years. Six years. Six years this month, actually. Oh, nice. We're getting you at your your six-year anniversary. What do you get for six years in comedy? Uh, You don't have to open the shows as much. There you go. That's a nice thing about it. There you go. Somebody else gets to warm the crowd up for you? Somebody else gets to jump on the grenade. So what, what got you started in comedy? Uh, Long version? Yes, I definitely want the long version. Long version. So like, let's go back to... My childhood. You living in, in Tuscany, Italy. <laughs> I don't know where. <laughs> well, um, honestly, I was a very quiet kid. And that's what is... Uh, everybody who sees my stand-up, they just cannot believe that I was just very, very quiet. I didn't mm. really talk too much like the first five years that I was alive. And then um, when I was five, my brother was a couple years older than me. He got leukemia. And he spent a lot of time in the hospital with my mom. My dad was at work. I was at the babysitters a lot. And so I was by myself most of the time. Mm. And that's kind of where my imagination started. I used to create okay. these own little worlds. And then when I was 10, my brother passed away. And the only thing that would make me feel better was laughter. So I saw Robin Williams live at the Met back in, God, how old was I? I must have been about. 10, 11 years old. And you're at this point, you're living, you, you, you originally grew up in Roseville, Italy, right? No, no, you weren't. No. Oh, you didn't. My father grew up in Italy. Okay. That's what it, your father yeah. grew up. So Roseville. Okay. Up in Roseville. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of what I want to do with my life. I thought that'd be amazing. You get in front of all these people, you make them laugh. And then it's evolved quite a bit over the years. I kind of, I was, I was in theater, I did performing. So being on stage was never intimidating for me i always liked it which is not the case for most people which so most people are just <laughs> terrified as soon as they get in front of it, it's like well just picture everybody naked no no that just either gets you really turned on or scared out <laughs> well, what are, what are my buddies he's been doing this for about 15 years he actually did a show at a nudist colony i said so what the hell did you do how do you picture anybody naked there and my favorite part of matt mcclory's his name and he was telling me that he asked the guy where he lived, and the guy got in, upset. He goes, well, I have my right to privacy. He's like, dude, you're naked right now. <laughs> <laughs> huh. <laughs> but I kind of got... Because you can get pretty general with where you live. Yes. Yes. You can't get general with you know your dick hanging out. <laughs> when your balls are stuck to the seat, you know, I think that's pretty... Your privacy's over. <laughs> But what happened, I mean, I got away from it for a while, uh, the performing, and then it's probably about 35 when my father passed away. And then I, I needed something, and one of my friends like, hey, you know, you're always funny, you can always make everybody laugh, because I worked at a bar. She goes, why don't you try stand-up comedy? I'm like, eh, I don't want to try stand-up comedy. She goes, oh, just try it. So I took a class at the Comedy Castle in Royal Oak. And the first time I went on stage, 
I thought I was going to throw up because I was in back and I was shaking so bad mm. that I thought I really thought I was going to vomit. And I was doing five minutes. That five minutes seemed like, oh my god, five minutes. I got to make people laugh for five minutes, and it ended up going really well. Every show for the next year after that kind of sucked, but you know, the, the first one, <laughs> the went first really, one really felt well. great. You get that beginners. I mean, when you when it's your first year, if you don't want to quit like every few months, then you're not trying hard enough. I mean, I just didn't think I was funny. And little by little, you start getting better. Little by little, your material gets better. It evolves. And, um, you know, comedy, it's that one thing. What I talk about, I talk about very personal things. I talk about my relationships. I talk about my childhood, mental illness, I mean, everything. Yeah. And people can relate to me. And I've had a lot of people come up to me after shows like, oh, my God, I went through the same exact thing. Hmm. And now I can laugh about it. I'm like, well, then, you know, what a greater gift you give somebody who's having such a hard time with it. And now it's funny to them. And now they can deal with it. I mean, that's about as great as a gift as you can give to somebody. Mm. And it's something it's awesome. that, like, is obviously sounds like I love it. death has, has, like, spurred you on to do what you're doing now. I took a positive, I took a negative and turned it into something positive. Like, yeah. one of the, one of my favorite charities I do, one of my friends, his daughter died of uh, cancer and it's called mission of love. And what he does, he does a lot of charity shows and he gives the money to their families or he'll do something's called like the best day ever. Whatever the kid wants is that's what they're going to do for him. It's like kind of like make a wish. Uh, yeah, cool. Awesome. So I do a lot of stuff for him and I do a lot of charitable work. I'll, a lot of times when I do a fundraiser show, I'll donate either all my pay or half my pay, whatever it's for. So, I have a good time with it. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Uh, yeah, when you, I think when you're real, and and it's funny that you're, you know, you're saying, you know, I'm real about the things that I talk about. You're not, I mean, that implies you're not trying to, you're not trying to hide things in your life no, that you don't not at all. like, you know, and that's, and that's uh, like, that's what I love about, that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast too. So, I mean, it's just a perfect fit because I don't really want anything to be in the shadows. Right. And I, I feel like life is just better when everything can be out there and on the table. Of course, like there's some details that maybe you're not going to share. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, obviously like, but I mean, still your, your failures are your failures and you know, right. you can either take them and turn them into a comedy show or you can take them and bury them and become depressed about them. And <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's ironic that a lot of comedians, especially some of the really high level ones suffer from depression. Like, like crippling depression where some of them are hospitalized for a little bit of time because oh. it gets so bad. And I'm not sure why, but I know one of the things for me, when you start writing and sometimes you just do um, a stream of consciousness writing, it's where whatever's going to come out of your pen, you're not thinking, it's just whatever's coming out of there. And some things that come out of there, it's like, ooh, <laughs> that was pretty dark. Uh, uh. And uh some of my stuff, I'll touch on dark things here and there, but it's not really what I do. I like more fun-loving things. I tell stories. Obviously, my girlfriend, Becky, she's very supportive of it. She laughs. She's probably my biggest fan. A couple of things, she goes, oh, God, please don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the anticipation of knowing it's coming, but you, you're hoping that maybe this one time you'll, uh, you'll save her from it. <laughs> one of her favorite, actually one of her mom's favorite jokes, Becky's mom, because my ex-wife, she did not like when I talked about our, our, our 
marriage or a relationship. My ex-mother-in-law hated that I did that. Now you can talk about it as much as no, you no, want. I'm, now the gloves come up. No. <laughs> now I'm brutal with it. Now it just, whatever comes out, comes out. Yeah. The venom spewed, but Becky's mom loves it. I do a joke about meeting them for the first time. And Becky goes, you know, if you want my parents to like you, just be with them the way you are with me. So I grabbed her mom's ass. And, and, and it's like, no, I didn't grab her mom's ass, you know. I motorboated her. But I mean, <laughs> I did not? this joke. And, you know, it all, you know, a lot of jokes too, it's 10% truth, 90% exaggeration. Sure, sure. Her mom loves this joke. And I wasn't sure because her mom came to one of my shows. I'm like, I'm not sure how she's going to go. And they're like, they're kind of church people a little bit. Yeah. Like they go to church. At least they go she to church. You know, loved it. Her mom laughed so hard at it. She still has got to bring it up. She goes, no, can I walk in front of you without grabbing my ass? I'm like, well, no promises. <laughs> yeah. She's the, she gets that, that moment of attention too in the show, you know, like that's about me. <laughs> and, you know, and Becky too. She said, because the things I talk about with us, just general things about our relationship but it's just everyday things that are funnier than anything I could ever dream up. Like, uh, what's a, there's a big one with her. She's got this makeup bag. She's very, my girlfriend, very, very beautiful. I mean, you've met Becky a few times, but she has this makeup bag and it like rolls away. Do you ever see it's like you open oh, this yeah, thing yeah, and it yeah. just starts yep. rolling. It's like every possible shade. I mean, you can like, do a land bridge to Russia with this thing. I mean, it just starts opening every shade, color. I'm like, what? What is this thing? I was like, what is this thing? Though she goes, you stupid asshole. <laughs> I was like, I, just, I start. I, think I genuinely want to know. I eyelash curlers. I'm like, I'm not going to find you less attractive if you don't curl your eyelashes. But I like. Yes, you will. <laughs> I'm insensitive. <laughs> but even like now that we live together. That was a big thing, too. I mean, that was a big thing that I had to get used to because I got used to living by myself. I like living by myself. And now it looks like Pottery Barn exploded in my house. You know, it's just like, I'm not used to it. There's It's better than Walmart. Yeah, that's much better. Than yeah. Walmart. Every room smells good, which that's a good thing now. It doesn't smell like feed anymore. Yeah, because you guys house. just moved in together, what, like a couple months ago? Three months ago or something? About a month ago. About a month oh, and a half month ago. ago. Okay. All right. So what was that? What was that move? Because it was your... It was your place. My place. She moved into your pl- well, place. Well, you know, now it's now it's our place. Now it's our place. Well, I had a basement. I don't have a basement anymore. Okay. All right. Is I, it is that full of makeup bags or candles? Oh, <laughs> there's <laughs> Yankee seances. Candles, Yankee candles. I think we're gonna summon a demon when I get home or something. <laughs> <laughs> like if the lights go out for the next four years, I think we're good. I went over to a friend's house when I was oh gosh, I was probably in like fifth grade, so ten years old. I you know. My family is this straight-laced Christian Baptist family, and I go into this guy's house, and and I knew that he was Hindu, uh, but we went in, you know, just playing in his room or something, and then I came out, and his mom was bent over over some like altar that she had with <laughs> candles lit with little incest things and she was hey, oh, hey, oh, hey. <laughs> i remember looking my brother and i were both there we're like we gotta go we gotta get out of here sorry we got- <laughs> what's that knife for we're like i think my mom told us about this <laughs> i know i'm catholic in the same way you put a car in a garage you can call it a i don't car oh i screwed that one up if you put it like a cow in a tree you can call it a bird that's how catholic i am so okay all right yeah. but, but my parents i mean my mom's like 
you're living together. What kind of example is that going to set for the children? Even Becky's not like, you know, you guys just have to remember your Christian values. I'm like, well, we have the orgies on Tuesdays. <laughs> the strippers are on only on birthdays, only on birthdays and special occasions. I mean, otherwise. that's fair. You can't, you can't <laughs> ask for anything less than that. Oh, stop being funny. Well, I'm not being funny, I'm being serious, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that's uh, that's about the same reaction that my parents get. You know, I live with well now fiance. We'll be married in three weeks, so or two weeks, two and a half weeks. So everything will be okay <laughs> at that point. I get like that's why I always I always thought it was so funny. It's like okay, so it's not okay right now, and then it's okay magically okay in in like a couple weeks. It's okay, it, you know, as, as soon as it. You guys just have to set a good example for the children. All right. Well, we'll put clothes on when we walk around. I mean, I'm saying. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and and now, I mean, you think okay, there's, I mean, we we both been married before, yeah. and I I just look at that marriage and I go, I mean, that was, and it's not to say that everything was bad, of course, but especially at different points, it was it was real bad. You know, yeah. it was it was rough and it was. It was kind of like a your own little hell on earth at times, and so you look at that, and then you go, "Here's my current relationship, and like what you know, the things we go through together, and it's night and day. Everything's great, and you know, people say, oh, you move in together, you're, it's you know, it's not a good idea because you're not married.' Well, I mean, it's all worked out just fine this this way. So it's like you could you can do everything right, you know, but you can also do everything the wrong way, and things can turn out right. Yeah. Uh, in the end and so it's like yeah you can you can judge people for anything you do you know and i told my mom too i said you know the kids saw how much me and my ex-wife would argue constant constant mm. constant we never did anything together we never held hands i never hugged her never kissed her i mean it was it was bad and what was it always like that all for a long time um and you guys were married for eleven years. Eleven years, okay. And I, you, you I, beat me by seven. <laughs> I stayed a long time for the kids because yeah. I didn't want my kids ever to have to deal. It's like I'll, you know, I'll just suck it up. And then finally, it got to be too much. We uh, bought a house, we renovated the whole thing, and a few months later, she said she wanted a divorce. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, let's put the timeline together. Oh, that's kind of strange. So I got a smaller house and. Um, when we split up, I didn't want to go out with anybody at all. I didn't want a girlfriend. I didn't want to date. I didn't want to do anything. Becky and I were friends for about three years. And then I didn't, I kind of lost contact with her after she got divorced. And then she kind of got out of nowhere. She goes, Hey, you want to go out? And then the rest is history. And yeah, she came go. to one of my shows and been together ever since then. Yeah. So. Awesome. Yeah, there's something about two people that have like experienced some similar things. My my fiance, she had Katie, she hasn't she wasn't married, but she was engaged. And so, you know, there's that like you understand the the brokenness feeling of a relationship ending and and then finding that happiness at the end or you know, going through that even is just a point of you have it in common and you know what it's like to be in that shit relationship only to be you know, to find that relationship where you're like, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> I mean, and not that it's perfect, but you know, you're, you're definitely when you're with someone who's willing to not have it be perfect. That's, that's when you find your sweet spot. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's where our thing is too. We like to do things together, mm-hmm. and you know, one thing we do, we dance in the kitchen a lot. And I'll do it with Becky when the kids are there. My daughter, my seven year old, she's like, oh, she just thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. And then she wants me to dance with her. So I dance with my daughter. And then the little one wants to be picked up. And the oldest one's just kind of looking and shaking his head. He goes, That's gross. <laughs> and he's what? He's 10? He's 10. So yeah, 10 year old boy, seven year old girl. And a five year old boy. Five year old boy. Okay. And she's great with them. She's great with the kids. They all love her. And I said, You know, you said we have to set a good example. The kids are seeing how a relationship is supposed to be, not how I was with, not how me and their mom was, right. because that that wasn't a marriage. That I don't know that that felt like a, like a business agreement, huh. and it just was very. We grew up very like my ex wife. Her dad was like an audio executive. Okay, my dad owned a concrete company. Small town USA, big Italian family, blue collar, white collar, blue collar, yeah. white collar. You could not have gotten any more opposite. And then when you go towards Becky, she was raised um, kind of similar to how I was, and that's why we get. A, that's why our relationships. I mean, we have our fights here and there, but yeah. it's usually about something stupid. Which all fights are about something stupid. I've never seen you guys have a stupid fight before. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> it's like seriously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we should talk about yeah, that. Yeah, it's on okay. The we, we'll leave. She'll we'll get leave mad at me one. for that. We'll one. leave that one. <laughs> Hi, Becky. Uh, yeah. No. We're not going to say what it was about, Becky. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Well, I mean, I think I that and that's the the secret though is what like because when you're super different from somebody, it doesn't it doesn't mean that it can't work. Right. Like you can be total opposite, and that's you know the opposites attract is true to a point. I think, and it definitely helps to have some commonalities. Yes. And I feel like that's the, you know, we, you don't really get told as a, as like somebody in high school or, you know, you're, you're trying to date some girl, like nobody's actually sitting someone down, or at least my, my dad didn't. And, uh, and saying, don't, maybe don't look for someone who's like a totally different in every single way. Like I remember I dated a girl who her, her, uh, her stepdad was, the CEO of a huge company and their house was the biggest house I've ever been in my life. The whole thing was fricking windows. <laughs> and, uh, there was a, there was a secret, a secret staircase behind the house. They had a 10 car garage, her, her graduation party, they had valet parking and they gave away a big screen TV. You know, it's like 2004. So what's and, her number? I'm just curious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I, I just, it's funny, like nobody was ever like, "Hey, you probably, like, you know, it's probably not going to work out for you there." But the funny thing, my actually, my my best friend ended up dating her too, and her stepdad told her, "You're going to break up with him because he's you're, you're going to go." She would like went to Vanderbilt or something. He's like, "You're going to date a Vanderbilt man, and that's who you'll marry." And she broke up with him because he told she, he told her to, and. It seemed really shitty at the time. You're like, wow, what a dick. Like yeah. you're you're telling her to break up with him because he doesn't make enough money. But I mean, she went on and she married a guy who makes a ton of money. And you know, I don't know if they're they look happy on Facebook, but that yeah. don't mean anything no, either. But not at all. But I mean it, there's something I think to be said about being honest with 
I don't know, like when you're at that age where you're starting to like actually think about, oh, I want to be in a relationship with somebody like a real, you know, not just like, let's go out to ice cream and make out like actually have something. Nobody talks like uh, that person probably isn't great because, you know, look at look at where their family is. Look where ours is. And, and you know, maybe there's something to to that. But then you see, you sound like a dick because hey, I, I found love. <laughs> We're in love and you can't do anything about it. You know, there there's some things that, you know, you do want to have some difference because you do everything together. That's kind of boring. Sure. Yeah. But the important things, the things that are most important to you, you got to have in common. Like the, like family's got to be a big thing. You got to be willing to spend time with both families, both. not just one, yep. both sets of friends, not just one. Like we like to be outdoors all the time. That's our thing. We like to be active. We like to go around stuff like that. Game of Thrones. That's what we're hooked on too. Dude, so you, you saw the newest episode. Oh, then I was It's beautiful. It was. <laughs> it was. It nothing. Really, really nothing happened. I I, I uh, described it to somebody today. Actually, I said it was basically like your traditional Walking Dead episode where everybody just had to get somewhere, mm-hmm. and that was the episode. But of course, it's so many good things happen. You know, you get so into that show, but it was it was definitely a setup episode. It wasn't. Yeah, you're waiting. It's it's the it's the deep breaths before the plunge. Yes. Some yes. Big absolutely. stuff's happening. It's gonna. I mean, I think I think this next episode is gonna be, you know, a little more setup, and then three, four, five, six. It's just gonna be ham. Yeah. It'll be all over the place, but but hey, you can go listen to a Game of Thrones podcast. We won't, <laughs> we won't spoil it well, for you. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're not gonna talk about who belongs. To, okay, we're not gonna kill it. <laughs> yeah, but, but the biggest difference too, like in, with my relationship with Becky, her family's very accepting to me, and I know it's hard, you know, dating someone who's a little bit older with kids. Her friends, you guys have been very accepting of me. You know, I love yeah. being around you guys, and that wasn't like that with my ex's friends. Mm. It's kind of like, eh, eh, you know, it's nice. It's it's one thing to be tolerated; it's another thing to be accepted and well, yeah. wanted. You know, when yeah. when you when you show up and they're like, Oh, where, where is she? You know, and they like, they want your, your significant other there too. That's yeah. when you know that you're, I think you're in a good spot. Yes. Big difference. Otherwise it's, Oh, cool. You're alone. Great. <laughs> oh God. They're not here. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. We get to have fun. My uncle said, it after I got divorced, she goes, so did you get away from the mean one? <laughs> we just we had our differences so yeah there you go that's a company line there <laughs> yeah, we had our differences sounds like it the kids too like they my oldest one tends to gravitate towards me because he always has the other two are eh, they're fine with whatever but yeah. oldest one's a little bit of a daddy's well, boy. He's, a, he's a boy you know that's yeah. that's that's probably the way that it should be is yes likes likes his dad it's a it's a good thing uh Let's uh let's just turn back to comedy for a minute. Sure. Uh, since we're we're talking about family and we're talking about and I know that you like to talk about things that are real. Oh, uh, yeah. So I, I listen to pretty much everything that's out there. <laughs> I, I I've unfortunately I haven't been to one of your shows, but I feel like I got a good a good grasp watching about forty minutes yeah. worth of video on online. And I mean, of course, like I've spent time with you, and so. Uh, for you, I, I mean, you had bits about church and, uh, and religion, God, and then you've got <laughs> your marriage stuff, you have your family. And so uh, where, 
outside of, of course, you, you know, you've got the Italian thing going and that's, yeah. that's your, uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy the, the accents. What, uh, what is it about the Catholic, your like religious upbringing, I guess, what, uh, where, where do some of those things come from? And like, what's your, I guess maybe like, what's your goal or what, what are you looking to, to find there? You're, you're digging through some stuff that probably makes people feel uncomfortable with the Catholic bit. Yeah. Um, Lobster's just, like, how we grew up, my mom, like, I mean, she used guilt the way Picasso used a paintbrush, like a good like a good <laughs> Catholic mom. As she's making me feel guilty, she's, like, dipping the paint and, like, doing the brush strokes with it. Perfect. But even while we were sitting there, because uh, it, it is boring, and I do a bit about it, it's like, where the priest is like, oh, oh, oh all righty then. <laughs> you know, he makes an hour feel like an eternity. And it's just that I, it's things that I sit through and things I remember like growing up like that and just sitting in, the, my mom would bring us every Sunday and just sitting there and just everyone's sitting here praying and I'm just kind of looking around like, I don't know what the hell's going on in here, you know? And that's just where a lot of the material came from and it all just stuck with me. Yeah. And then now like when we go back and I see some of the stuff and I just start kind of giggling to myself about it. The jokes are flo- are flooding your mind. People are writing out prayer cards and I'm writing a good premise for a joke <laughs> that I thought was funny. So, like I get holy water on me, look like I'm possessed by the devil. <laughs> stuff like that. Or even like the pre like associations, like right said the priest looks like he's wearing a nightgown. He does. <laughs> it, 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 and the little cap that yeah. he puts on. Yeah, that's I mean that definitely is the, either either a nightgown was designed after a priest or vice versa, but they are the same thing. And then like a lot of comedy, uh, I used to work, a friend of mine, he was my mentor before he passed, he used to write for The Tonight Show. And he told me that comedy is a lot of association. We associate things together, and they don't, but they don't have to make sense. Hmm. Like where I was talking about when when I was a kid, like the part with the Catholic bit where he's like, all, all righty then. And I'm 10 years old going, Jesus Christ. And it's like, maybe that's how he got his name. You know, maybe Mary and Joseph <laughs> were sitting in a Catholic church. So I'm just ex- associating how boring church is to how a baby got his name and how Jesus got his name and just little things that start firing off in your head. And then one, one thing that I do when I write jokes, I'll start freeform writing. And then I'll isolate my topic on it. And then I'll write about 10 things that I know about that topic. So Catholic Church. So I wrote uh, the way the priest is dressed, how long the Mass is. I mean, just like 10 things about it. And each one kind of spurns a joke of its own. So like one thing will turn into like a five-minute bit. So that's and You're like I'm tying them all together. And everything ties together. Like yeah. when I do a, like a feature to a headliner set, I'll rap my last four minutes is wrapping all is wrapping up the first 40 minutes or the, if I'm doing half an hour, my last four minutes is bringing in all of that 30 minutes into the last four minutes. So you got to be paid attention to what I say. Cause all those jokes kind of get intertwined with each other right towards the end. Oh, so you're intelligent is what you're saying. Depends who you, ask. <laughs> you try. You Depends try. Who you ask. Yeah. It's, it's, it's made to be, open-ended like with with my material you can go a lot of different directions like when i start off jokes i usually i I say something about my parents they you know sure you notice my gigantic ears so let's get that out of the way you know with the bald head i look like a penis with wings (laughs) you know 
associating things <laughs> together. Bald head. Bald, guys with bald head looks like dicks. I got big ears. Oh, penis with wings. And that's how jokes come together for me. There's some sort of a structure to it, and there is a way to write a joke to make it more funny. And the big thing about a joke is a buildup of attention and then a release of that tension. And that's where the laughter comes in. Yeah. Like when we were talking earlier in the um, in the kitchen, and I was talking about uh, you can tell where somebody's from by how they kiss you, you know? <laughs> and, and like as Italians, when you greet someone, you kiss them. You kiss them on the cheek. Or, um, and I was, my son was like, so, you know, from different regions of, from you can tell where somebody is where they're from by how, how they kiss you. Like he goes, so people from Northern Italy kiss you on one side of the cheek and people from Southern Italy kiss you on both sides of the cheek. It's like, well, I saw a brother and sister kiss each other in the mouth at school. Where are they from? Like Alabama, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You look, I'm going one direction and and then you go completely in the opposite direction. Yeah. That's, like when you when you write out a joke, it almost like you're writing it out this way, and then the tsh, where it makes that sharp turn, huh. and and sometimes just stating the obvious is funny. Yeah, well, because yeah, you said that to me, and I like as soon as you said I saw my brother or I saw a brother kiss a sister, I thought, oh, it's Alabama. Like I knew it was coming, but it was still <laughs> funny when you said it. Uh, and you know, and you're and you're just standing in my kitchen. It's not like you're doing a show, so yeah, I can I can see that. Um, so you. You went to the Catholic Church as a kid. Now you're now you're like L- Lutheran. Is that where you yes, go? Diet Catholic. <laughs> diet Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I'm trying to cut back on my guilt. Right. Yeah. All the all the same. Just no uh, what? No confession. Pretty much. That's that's yeah. Confession. Yeah. Where you confess your sins to another man in a dark closet. Yes. Nothing creepy going on in there. No. No. Nothing bad. <laughs> nothing bad ever happened in those things. Never. Never. The one thing, like we, we go to uh, my girlfriend's church, and I do like it because it's more up to the times. They're more open minded. Oh yeah. And you know they're kind of things like well we all sin, and but we all sin differently. Sure. So like, you know, the Catholic is really like, well, you know, you can't live together before your marriage and no marital sex. And it's like, hey, you know, we all sin. It's like, we all sin differently. And yeah. they're a little bit more open-minded, I guess. Hmm. Where Catholics are like, duh, 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 this is this. It's like, nah, I don't want to live like that. Yeah, yeah. And and there's the there's the one side of, okay, here's here's the way that we believe is the right way. Hmm. And if you're not living that way, we accept who you, we accept you right. and we all know that we're all like broken and we're all, you know, we're all living in some way, living in sin or living sinning every day. I mean, find me a person who doesn't sin every single day. Yeah, that's not possible. I mean, even, even with like, even if they're, they're perfect in all their little 10 commandments that they're keeping, they're going to be prideful. Or they're going to, you know, they're going to have different things about them that you don't know internally. So we all sin every single day. So yeah, I, I like, I mean, we all sin in different ways. So I guess you say, does that mean that we should just like go and do whatever we want? No, no. but it does mean that, you know, Hey, like you're at the, I mean, I, I'm, you guys just moved in a month ago. Like we moved in together a year, almost two years ago now. Hmm. And, uh, and I mean, where, where we were at, at the time, it's, it's what made sense. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you do what you feel like you need to do. And like, maybe that's going to 
fly in the face of things that you've been taught or told or the people around you don't think it's the best thing, but in that moment, it's the best thing to do for you. And, and maybe it'll work out and maybe it won't. And, you know, hopefully it does, but, uh, but I mean, it's, it's different to go, you've chosen to do that. Now we are going to like throw up the cross fingers to you and like your ex communicated, but it's another thing to go. We like, we still accept who we still love you. And we like, we're not going to treat you any different because you do something that we don't necessarily agree with. I mean, it's, it's one thing to disagree with. It's another thing to like excommunicate somebody because they've chosen something that you don't like. You know, my biggest issue with a lot of the ultra religious people is that they use the Bible as a shield to be an asshole. You know, it's like, I still donate my time to the poor. I'll donate money to the poor. I'll help feed them. I'll take care of the sick. And all these people are like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, well, wait a minute. If you really want to go off of what it says, help the needy, help the poor, help the sick, help the children, blah, 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 blah. Uh, no, no, you just can't be gay. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not how it works, right. you know? Well, yeah, yeah. I think that's it's, my issue with that. I think it's James, James, I think, says that, uh, like, feed the feed the needy and the poor and that's true religion mm-hmm. you know and that's i mean how how do you better take all these ideas that are in the bible or that you know that you're taught and put them into actual real like real action that does something in someone's life what's the fastest way to do something good is to give something to somebody that doesn't have anything People, you know, a lot of them, they'll cherry pick. Well, there it's like, well, you know, you're going to go to hell for this. I'm like, well, technically, you're not supposed to work on a Sunday if you read. I forgot what is it Leviticus. <laughs> sure, sure, right? yeah, I mean, well, yeah, if we want to stone somebody to death for working on a Sunday. If, if we want to scoot through Leviticus, there's yeah. not going to be too many people left. <laughs> that's, uh... But, you know, and that's what bothers me. I mean, be a good person pretty much is what it's telling you. And I don't know. Some people use it for the wrong reasons. That's not right. Yeah, and and I mean, even even further, like if you say, well, there's something, there's more to it than just being a like a quote unquote good person, because I guess I guess there's, well, how do we determine who's a good person? Right. Like we have to have some sort of line in the sand that says this is the point where you're no longer a good person, or this is the point where you are. But I I tend to just fall into the nobody's nobody's really a good. We can we can definitely try to live right. to live in a way that's like where we treat other people. Right. I mean, as far as I'm concerned though, you get to do whatever you want to do. Right, exactly. I like, yes, I have my beliefs. Like I, you know, I, I think if I'm, if I'm, you're going to ask me like, do you think that it's okay to, as a gay person to get to, to marry another person? I, I don't think for me, I'd say no. Like I don't, I don't see how it lines up with frankly anything like biologically or, or religiously. I don't think it lines up but I don't care. It really could care less. Like, right. You want to be gay? I, like we can be friends. We, I, I, I don't care. Nothing in me cares about what you do other than like, yeah, I want you to like, of course I, I don't want you to do drugs or, you know, whatever. Like, and, and that's where I just think that too much, too much of what religion is, is okay. I see these words in front of me that tell me, Oh, I can't do this and I need to do it this way. And then you take it and you put it on everybody else. Right. And I don't think that it's supposed to be that way. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. I just, I don't, I think that it's, if you, 
it's it's one thing to go, hey, here's here's what I know. Like here's this is what I've learned, you know, and share it like sharing it with people and off like essentially offering like, hey, if you know, if you want to if you want to understand this the way that I do, you know, here's an invitation to do it. Right. Uh, but it's another thing to go, you live a different way than this. You're you're going to hell. You're you're living in sin or you're, you know, like just ripping somebody to shreds and not not associating with them because they live differently. You know, one of my favorite comedians was George Carlin. Oh, yeah. And his bit on abortion and gay people was the funniest damn things I ever heard. He goes, you think that gay people in the Catholic Church would be natural allies because Catholic Church is against abortions. Well, who has less abortions than gay people? <laughs> that was one of the funniest, cleverest bits I've ever heard. And same thing, it was taking two things and associating them in a certain way. I'm like, oh my God, that was brilliant. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't have the balls to try stuff like that. I don't know. I just yeah, that's, that, uh, yeah. I can't step out. I'm not that established where I can do stuff like that. George Carlin is, yeah, I mean. He was on a level <laughs> of his own. You know? Yes, and he's like, he was... He was not even, I, he was a comedian, but it was something more. Yes. It, it was almost like he was a, like a preacher commun, comedian who is an atheist, yeah. <laughs> like an atheist serious. preacher comedian in that order. <laughs> and he, yeah, he did, he did things that nobody else you know, has ever done or oh. maybe will do. I, almost like a prophet. He was like a, a comedic prophet. You know, many times in my life, especially with, my brother and my dad, and then with the divorce and with the you know the money situation, my faith was tested many many times, and it was pretty much non-existent for a little while. But then I started going back with Becky, and then I got away from the one, and we started starting to go the one, and I was telling the priest or the pastor why you can't I, get away from the priest word, can you? <laughs> I keep saying it's embedded priest. forever. <laughs> the, the pastor and I told him that I was for a while. And he asked me why. And I told him why. And then we were talking for a little bit. He goes, but each time it happened, he goes, you know, you're never going to replace that loss. He goes, but you're using what you did or what happened to you, that negative, awful thing that happened to you, and you're using it to better other people's lives. He goes, you don't think that's a gift? I'm like, yeah, it's almost like you can't make up for losing who yeah, you lost. Sure, but you can make other lives better. Yeah, and I was like, huh. And then even you know we were talking about because like, you work with a lot of science people, and even if people don't believe in God, if they want to, they don't want to. That's up to them. There is something, and now even science is convinced that once we go, our conscious is still existing somewhere. There's other dimensions for sure. There's something else. So I don't know. Is it the old Greek gods? Is it Jesus? I mean, who knows what it is? I mean, people are going to argue about for this. I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows. You just have faith in what you have faith in. Sure. Yeah, there's, uh, I am, I I feel like there's, I mean, we know there's, I think it's at least 12 dimensions. Some people yes. say there's up to like 19. And the more, you know, I, I think that you can take what you, what you feel like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that you try, like you have faith in what you know. And I, I think about that. And I used to think about death and go, okay, like when you die, I guess God, like 
God takes you somewhere else. Like somehow there's this other place that you get taken to. And it never dawned on me until I started to really think about, okay, there's other dimensions. Like the fuck is in these other dimensions? <laughs> like where, uh, so these, so, I mean, if you think about if you're on a, if you're on a, like a two dimensions, the third dimension exists. You just don't know. Mm. So you, everything's flat. Everything's flat. And that's, and so then you get to the third dimension and, you know, we just, like, I think that we exist in all those dimensions. Mm-hmm. We just have no, we just aren't able to see. Like, right. We don't have the right eyes or the right, like our brain isn't designed or tuned to be able to see it. And I think that there's, there's something and it's, I think that it's something there. And I mean, you see people that are like, oh, I see these UFOs coming through. And, you know, I think that there's something in another dimension passing between dimensions. I think there's a whole lot of op- like possibilities, but if there's other dimensions, that means that there's something here in the room or like in our city or in the world where we just can't see it, but it's actually there. They can see us, but we can't see them or right. something, you know. Speaking of aliens, why do they all have like an anal finish? Have you ever noticed that? They're always like anal probing people. Whoever <laughs> gets abducted, and he, he, he anal probed me, but we are in something that looked like my buddy's bar, and there's this like. <laughs> Maybe they know something that we don't know, that there's like a brain inside your asshole. <laughs> well, most people have their head up their ass, so that's. <laughs> they the they heard that. <laughs> like, we all, we hear you all have your head up your ass. But even like with dimensions, like when we were talking about it, I've had too many things happen to me in my life that would make me think there's not something else besides us. Mm. Uh, one of them in particular, and I don't know if it was just, I mean, people try to explain, well, it's your brain trying to cause, it's like, no, because you can't explain this. My dog, uh, my old dog, when I lived uh, at my parents, this is uh, a little while after my brother died. Kind of dog? Uh, Snoopy was a mix. Snoopy. Snoopy. She was... Not a black and white miniature guy with a yellow bird as his friend no she didn't sleep on her dog house she um she was a retriever and a pyrenees and something else i mean she she had a retriever's head but he had a white body with a black spot on her back so i called her snoopy greatest great dog gentle dog never really barked a whole lot one day we're in my room and it was kind of about three o'clock in the morning and she's laying on my bed and my door is open and she just picks her head up and just stares at the door and just starts growling. It's like, Snoopy, what the hell's going on with you? And she's just, I mean, her hair is up. Her t- I'm getting goosebumps talking about this. You can see that. And uh, her hair is up and her teeth get up. So I, get, I start to move before, towards the door and she just starts going bananas and rushes right towards the door. And then for the rest of the time we lived there, she would sleep in between me and that door every single night. And I never could figure out why. I thought that was so strange. Huh. But in the house too, you would walk around and you would like stop because you felt like there was like somebody in front of you. I was like, maybe my maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me. No, there was a lot of light in the room from the moon, but you just stopped and you really had to stop and like put your hand out because you thought you were gonna walk right into somebody. And you just I'm getting chills. <laughs> and I don't know. It was Where's this is this the Roseville? This was the what? house in Macomb. Macomb, okay. The house in Roseville. Uh, is a little bit after my brother died. A lot of times, you know, you'd see like light moving across the floor. And I could never quite figure out. It, it felt like something was there, but didn't feel like it was trying to hurt me. 
And one time I was sitting with the dog and my mom was in the other room and you heard somebody scream like a blood curdling scream. Windows were closed. It was in the winter. My mom's like, you okay? I'm like, I thought that was you. (laughs) You know, it's like, and ever since that house, it always felt like whatever it was followed it. When I moved to my new house, didn't deal with that at all. It's because it was scared of your ex-wife. I was scared of my <laughs> ex-wife. She was going to bitch at it for leaving something out or whatever. <laughs> God damn it, you got to haunt us at like 4 o'clock in the morning and wake the kids up, you asshole. <laughs> God, I think my ex-mother-in-law just kind of like scared the scared the ghost away. He's like, God, I can't even handle listening to this shit. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to another dimension, see ya. <laughs> get, a, get a 20th dimension, get right. away from this way. <laughs> get as far, far away as possible. But I've had way too many things that you just cannot explain with science or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I've used drugs in my life, but I've never <laughs> experienced stuff like yeah. that. That was just... That was weird. I mean, I yeah, I've never done like psychedelics or anything, but you know that, that you, you hear about like five people all doing the same thing in the same room, and they all have the same vision of the same things. Like that's that you know that's not just because they're in the same room together. Like there's something going on. You know, they're entering some dimension mentally, and yeah, it's crazy stuff. Yeah, I did a few times, like in my early twenties. I haven't done anything almost 20 years, but it's just like, um, I don't know. It just puts you in a different form of thinking. And like, you see like a lot of musicians, how much their music changed when they did something. It's like, I don't know if they opened up another part of their brain or what happened mm. or killed all their brain cells. And that's what they're doing now. <laughs> right. One of the two. Maybe they just don't have things blocking them out anymore. Cause they, uh, but he, like, them out. one of the shows that I love is, uh, scariest places on earth. I'm like, there's no way in hell I would go stay at one of those places. Good. You could not pay me to go stay at Edinburgh Castle at night in Scotland or even the Tower of London. It's like how many things they did there. Oof. Oof. Couldn't pay me to do that. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about, about that. I know there was that that story about, I think they just made a bunch of like a Netflix show and all, all those things about some family in the, like, the social worker went over there or a, pa- a priest went over there. They said, I oh, think our house is on and the priest went over there and so did a social worker. And they all said that like they, the kid that was there all of a sudden just went nuts and he started crawling up the walls and crawling all over the place. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, that I'm out. <laughs> See ya. I quit. <laughs> I'm done. I especially, like I was telling you before how I had such an imagination. Yeah. It's a good and a bad thing. I mean, sometimes my imaginative racing will just start going into another another area. One, there's two movies in my life that scared me. The Exorcist. I, I think that's it, a common theme. I saw it when I was like 12. That movie scared the shit out of me. It, it would, or, it or would today if you went and watched it again. And then uh, The Conjuring. When we saw The Conjuring, uh, you know, my ex-wife was with the kids somewhere visiting her parents and one of my friends and I, we wanted to go see it. And then we had a couple of drinks before we got there and it wasn't what you could see. It was what you couldn't see. And then, you know, especially with the religious background with the Catholics and, you know, the demons and the exorcists and the stuff like that, that stuff's, you know, you're taught that that stuff's real. The yeah, devil's yeah. real. Demons are real. Right. All this stuff is real. 
And so I'm sitting here and I'm watching this thing. I'm getting freaked out during the show. And there's a part where the lights, whenever the whenever the ghost was about to come or the demon, the lights would start like flickering. So my friend and I were walking out to our cars and we're just sitting there talking and the light starts flickering. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Get the hell out of here. So, Bye. So I get home and there's Annabelle with a doll in there. And dolls creep me out. So I get home and I already had a couple, I already have a little bit of a buzz on. So I'm watching TV and I look at the edge of the couch and there's my daughter's dolls just sitting there. I'm like, I can't deal with it. I, I got I to gotta put these things away. So I opened up a trunk. I threw all the dolls in there and I got all the weights for my weights downstairs and I put them on top of the trunk just in case, you know, because if a now they're never getting out. Demon is not going to be able to move that 45 pound plate. That's just what I'm convinced. I've never about. seen a demon bench press 45 pounds before. <laughs> so so I, I, I turn my back and I start walking away and I hear a... It's like, oh, Jesus Christ, what the hell was that? Because that's what it did in the movie. And so I start to get closer and hear a... I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm expecting that 45-pound plate to go flying off this thing. This trunk's going to open, and the spawns of doll hell are going to come and swarm me to death. And then I look over, and then my dog's scratching herself, going like, hitting her elbow (laughs) on the floor. I'm like, oh, my God. And even that night, too, I fell asleep, and I was laying on my back, and I heard like a rustling. I'm like, I'm afraid to open my eyes. Right? What if I open my eyes and the doll sitting on my chest? This is where my imagination goes with things. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it, it's it's a it's a curse and it's a blessing. And sometimes, like I scare the hell out of myself. Yes. Yeah. There's definitely those those times when you see something scary and then you start to interpret everything that way. But then there's all the other times where you're like, "Is this this is real? Like this isn't yeah. just my brain playing tricks on me?" I mean, I remember after seeing like Sixth Sense, I watched it by myself. Everyone was out of town. I was like, I don't know. I watched it a little bit, a little bit later than everyone. Like I think it was like sixteen or something like that. I was like, I've never seen this movie. I'm going to watch it. It's like, oh shit, there's dead <laughs> things in the closet. I know it. Like you hear one little creak. It was just nope, not going in the basement. Not don't care, <laughs> won't care. <laughs> I had, uh, my when my oldest boy was three years old, and you hear all the time about. Um, how kids can see things that adults can't because mm-hmm. their brains just yeah. work that way. And we were, I think two and a half, something like that. And he was in his crib. It was nighttime. And I go in there and I said, you stop crying. You okay? He goes, yeah, the lady told me it's okay. I said, what Holy lady? Shit. He goes, the pretty lady. She's right behind you. I'm like, oh my God. You know, what? I'm just like <laughs> right behind. So I'm kind of like turning my head really slowly. Usually. He goes, hi lady. He's sitting on my head. Oh, he goes, hi lady. He goes, what does the lady look like? She has red hair and green eyes. She's smiling. She's the pretty lady. It was she, just poison. She visits me when, she, when I'm crying. I'm like, Jeez, I couldn't sleep for like two nights. Dude. <laughs> so when he was crying, I said, babe, well, why don't you go get him? <laughs> the lady's right? going to get you. <laughs> it was just Ivy. She was visiting your house. That's who I'm picturing. It so. just freaked me out. That is that is weird. And too many things like that's happened in my life. So I, I don't know. So do I track this stuff? What the hell's going on? Yeah, here? yeah. I mean, the other side of it is what do you do? Like... You know, there's no, there's nothing you could do about it. I mean, other than I'm not going to live in a house where there's creepy things happening. Which 
And that was an older house. That's why all my houses, I'm like, I got one, I got to check. It's not on like an Indian burial ground. Oh, God. Say, so not on a cemetery. Nobody got killed around here. All right. I'll move in. <laughs> yeah. I got criteria. Was this in, built before? Is it a good neighbor? I don't give a shit if it's in a good neighborhood. I don't want things that were dead around here moving in <laughs> haunting me. That's, I want to open my doorway and get sucked into another dimension. That's what I'm afraid of. No, actually you do. Yeah. I that do. would be cool. <laughs> that would be fine. As, as long as you get to come back. Depends on the dimension. <laughs> that's true. That, that's fair. Uh, well, let's. Uh, okay, so so we've got the we've got the religious side of comedy, side. but then we, we've 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 teased it a little bit. But you have a very Italian family. Very Italian. And family. Uh, my I, dad came here in 1964. Okay, I feel like it's influenced a, a small part of your comedy. <laughs> Just a tad. Everything about it influenced who I am. When I, um, my father, my mom was actually born here. My mom's um, American, but my family's okay. Italian. So your and dad moved here as like a, as a kid? No, he was 21. 21, okay. 1964, my dad came here. And um, my dad influenced a lot of how I lived my life. When my father came here, it was uh, during a lot, it's when the civil rights stuff was happening. Hmm. And one of his, uh, one of the guys who became really good friends was with Black, and they went up north. And uh, there, my dad was hungry. He said, "Hey, you know, let's go in this diner." The guy's like, I, I, "I can't go in there." My dad's like, "What do you talk about? You know, go in there." The guy goes, I, "I can't, can't go in there." My dad couldn't. I remember him telling me the story, and he goes, "He was my friend, but he couldn't eat with me because of the color of his skin." like you know now we're like what are you talking about I mean, stuff was really like that that's like oh, uh, yeah. that's like the movies yeah, yeah like, that happens really in like that. the place where brothers and sisters kiss yeah <laughs> alabama <laughs> but, <laughs> brothers, sisters, kiss. <laughs> but it was uh i mean even how my dad my dad was a good person and he was a hard worker and his family was everything to him it was like my kids are everything to me and he was very good to my grandparents, my mom's parents, you know, like one time my mom wanted to go to see it at Christmas. I said, Bruno, let's go see the lights. She goes, no, I don't want to drive out in this stuff. Then my grandma was like, you know, I'd really like to go see some Christmas lights. He goes, okay, we go. You know, because my, <laughs> yeah. and then like when Becky, uh, you know, her mom was visiting and she goes, you know, I'd really like to go see some Christmas lights. I'm just getting over pneumonia. I said, oh, all right, let's go. I don't care. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I guess, I got a lot of my father in me, a lot of the influence from my father, and a lot of the influence from the Italian side, and even even the culture and how they do things, you know, like with the hard work, the accent is, is just funny as hell. Yes. I mean, one of my favorite jokes, and it was one of, one of the first jokes I ever written, was about how my dad says things sometimes, it's just, it's just, and they all say it a certain way. Like when I was 12 and my, my dad wanted to go, uh, when we were in Italy, and he wanted to go to the beach, but the way he said it, I thought I was going to lose my virginity. <laughs> he goes, you know, I'm going to take you to this amazing bitch. <laughs> and this bitch is so hot that once you get on that bitch, you know, I want to get off. <laughs> and I just started laughing about that stuff. And then the other one, too. And that's real. Like that actually happened. That is real. Which a lot of a lot of comedy is just like eh, it's sort of happened like that. Like maybe he says that word funny, but he he actually said it like that. Like that's and it's gold. 
it's better than anything I can dream up. The my, my life is funnier. Like my dad, the other one he does, and they all say it this way, was uh, to go to the, to the casino to go play the slot machines. And when he went to Las Vegas for the first time, he goes, you know, I never see so many slots in my life. <laughs> and just hearing him talking about this, and people are looking at him like trying so hard not to laugh. In fairness, he's not wrong. It is no. Vegas. Well, yeah. <laughs> Whether it's a slot or a slot, it's all the same. He was right on both accounts. Yes, yes. All I can when I think of Vegas, my mind immediately goes to those cards being yeah. snapped around on the street. Oh God! I like to collect them and then hand them back to the guys later on down there the streets. So I hand it back. They don't. They don't know what to do. It's uh-huh. all, <laughs> oh man! It's like no, I'm not going to a strip club. If I want to give all my woman, give a woman all my money and not have sex with her, I would have stayed married. <laughs> that's yeah that's a great point <laughs> but you know but into like even the culture like eating with italians that's one of the other bits that i do that people just love it and it just so influences everything and when i first started doing comedy i'm like eh, you know i don't want to be like a one-trick pony so i'm gonna try sure. and get away from it and then i found i wasn't doing as well because I, I, I first I used it as a crotch tour. It's all I did. And now I do it to where it, I start off with it pretty much telling you this is who I am. And then it weaves in and out of my act. You know, instead of all at once where I would do it before, now I do a couple minutes here and I go into other stuff and I weave it back in, in and out, in and out, in and out. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just what it turned into. And he said, being Italian or having that background is what makes you unique. And do not lose what makes you unique in comedy. When if you're Italian, if you're Jewish, you just have like a leg up on everybody else. And I didn't realize that mm-hmm. until I started doing it. And, and he was right. Because I've done that Italian bit in um, Royal Oak, Michigan. I've done it in rural parts of Ohio. I've done it in Boston. Everywhere I go, people love it. Because it's so intertwined intertwined with the american culture now yeah you know everyone knows an italian family everyone knows an italian or you are or you have one yeah pretty much and even if even if it's distant or even if it's some of the things that they do it's very typical of like uh other ethnic communities whether it's arabic or chinese or european or anywhere a lot of times when i do the shows i this girl come up to me she goes you know i have to tell you my family was is from uh macedonia she goes they do the exact same Mm. I'm like, good. It, it really, one guy told me, he goes, you know, your hum, your comedy hits so close to home, I thought you were talking about my family. And I've had a few people tell me that. So I'm like, good, that's kind of what, I, that's kind of what I'm going for. Yeah, well, and if that's what you're going for, then I guess that's the uh, the ultimate compliment. Yeah, that's that, about as nice a thing as someone can say to me. Yeah, yeah. And even you know, with that, and even with the kids too, the kids are now a big part of my act. And when I- Do they know that? Do they know they're oh, in yeah, your know. Yeah. They love it. I, I mean, I, I I have some stuff. Right now they love it. <laughs> right now they love it. Dad, why are you talking about that? And I let them see some of my stuff from YouTube. I was like, okay, you're not watching that one. You know, <laughs> you know <laughs> taking that one out of there. They need the explicit tag on a few of them. But they, uh, they think it's the greatest thing in the world. And when I got divorced, when I first started doing comedy, it was a place, it was an outlet something just to get away and it was a place out of sadness where i did comedy and make myself feel better 
now that I'm in a better place, the comedy is done out of a place of happiness, and it's a lot better than my old stuff. Much, much better, my hmm. material. Like stuff with the kid. My oldest one actually talked me out of quitting comedy. Really? Because I was going to stop after I got divorced because I had to work another job. So I'm not going to do it anymore. And he goes, Daddy, you make so many people laugh. So many people need to feel better. You can't quit. Huh. And so he kept me going. And right after that happened, made a big turn in my career. So, I mean, it was... I brought him on stage with me one night um, before the crowd got there. Went to the Comedy Castle. I was doing a weekend there. And I said, you want to you wanna see what Daddy does? He goes, yeah. So... You know, the manager, Dave, lets him go backstage. I said, hey, you know, why don't you come out? You know, we're going to give you an intro. You can walk out from the door and walk right on stage. You want to tell some jokes? He goes, yeah. <laughs> he opens the door and he just freezes. <laughs> Empty room. He goes, he walks out on stage. He's like, hi. <laughs> and then afterwards, the guy's like, come on, tell us some jokes. And so he just tried to get a few out. And he goes, so, Daddy, when you go up on stage, this room is filled? I said, yeah, he goes, I don't know how you do that. I'm like, when you get a good room and you get everybody laughing, it's very surreal. Mm. It's almost like you're up in a bubble in space and everything else just disappears. It's like being in the zone in yeah. sports, yeah. but 100 times better. There's nothing, nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah, I've spoken like public speaking to, you know, Hundred, hundred plus, and even just in the moments where you're like, "All right, I'm going to be funny in this moment," to like, you know, kind of catch their attention. Even in those moments, I like, I can, I can get a, just a small glimpse of what what you're you're describing. Just in that, like, yeah, I just made everybody laugh. That's right. <laughs> I'm kind of funny. <laughs> it's like a drug. It's like after the first time it happens, you're you're hooked, hmm. and uh, you got to be able to take the good with the bad. I mean, there's even there's nights where I've gone in front of five, 600 people. And then, you know, a couple nights later, you're like in front of 10 people, like at an Eagles club or something like that. And that's just how it is. That's how comedy is sometimes. Yeah. Of course, all, all your shows aren't going to be marquee events where you're nice. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Unless you're Kevin Hart or something. Then eventually it'd be nice go. to get that. There you go. So what, like, what's your, uh, do you have a, I don't know, a five-year plan in comedy or like is... In Endgame? Yeah, where, where are you trying to go? What, what's the the spot you're trying to get to? I mean, obviously everybody, I mean, it's easy to say like just with this podcast, well, I'd love to be the bigger than Joe Rogan or bigger, you know, but uh, where do you, I don't want to say realistically, but where does your brain dream? In the next five years, I would, I would like to be on TV. That's my goal. Um, whether it's on uh, national television. One, I promised my kid, you ever make it to States, daddy will get on TV. Damn it, he made it to States and I ain't won a match. So I was like, damn, I got to get on TV. So, <laughs> you got to uphold your side of the bargain. I want to, one of my goals is I want to be better each time I step on stage. Hmm. That's one of my goals. And, with this business, it's not always how funny you are. It's how much money can they make off you? How marketable are you? Yeah. And even when I tried America's Got Talent, I'm like, I'm, I'm just not what they're looking for. It doesn't matter how funny I am. I'm just not what they're looking for. Yeah. What's unique about me? What's special about you? 
And especially with the kids and the shared custody, it's hard to get out there a lot of times. And, you know, I, I've turned down a lot of gigs because I don't want to miss time. With yeah. Them. Yeah. And you're like a dad first and I'm then dad, dad before I'm anything else. Yeah. And I was like, well, if I can't find a way, I guess I'll make a way. So I try and do my own shows. One of my best, one of my main goals in comedy is to perform at Madison Square Garden, perform at the Detroit Opera House, sell it out. That's one of my goals. And I don't know if I would call it a day once I got to that point and be like, hey, this is. Sweet. I don't I think you'd call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> I work so hard uh, to get there. And one of the things I want to do too, and it's more than just comedy, I want to get to the point. To where I'm doing well enough to where I can even affect more people's lives, make more people's lives better. Because I've seen like with a lot of the, the kids with the cancer, a lot of them, they, they, want, they like to laugh too. They want mm. to hear the jokes. And one of them, uh, I hear a lot of these kids that they want to be, they want to do stand-up comedy. So one of the things I would want to do is to like almost do like before I go on or if I'm on like bring up a live feed from the kid at the hospital. Say, hey, why don't you just tell us a couple jokes just to give them that thrill mm. of, you know, they may not make it out of that hospital. You know, now they're performing in front of yeah. four or 5,000 people. That's what I want. I want to help other people achieve their dreams. And mm. if by me achieving mine, even better. I've pictured it in my head many, many times what it would be like. Yeah. So we'll see. Hopefully I can tell. There. Many, I can tell many times. There. That's, that's cool. Yeah, and I think that when your dream is bigger than your own dream, mm. like that's that's when you can actually do really cool things. Because yep. when you're not just serving yourself, and I, and I guess comedy, I'm sure I'm sure that you, you know, there's there's people that you interact with in in mm -hmm. the comedy world that are out for themselves, and that's yep. all it is, and yep. and they might do really well, and that's fine. But they, uh, I don't know, there's something about having other people in mind while you're doing what you love that makes it all the better comedy is a big family um 99 of the headliners that i've worked with have been nothing but cool to me one being nice will get you far in comedy hmm. being a if you're one of those jackasses who's hard to work with it's going to get around and nobody's going to want to work yeah, with you yeah a lot of those headliners they know how tough it is and they know how hard it is to get to that point and when they see a guy struggling, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky. We have, have, you know, there's some great comics here in Michigan who've been on Last Comic Standing and stuff like that. And they've helped me a lot. And just little, little things, just like I was saying, like with Marty Turco helping me with something in hockey. I mean, just little, little things along the way that they help me with. Because, you know, if somebody helps you succeed, if you're a good person, you're not going to forget that. It's like, hey, you help me. I'm going to help you now. Right, you know? right. Yeah, and it makes you want to help people that are going through what you went through. And what's uh, okay? Let's say let's say I want to get into stand up com stand up comedy. I don't I don't think I'm that, <laughs> I don't think I'm that funny. Uh, but what what kind of advice would you give somebody who's just starting out? I've never done a show before, but I've yeah, you know, obviously writing. But let's say I have a little bit. I've written a little bit. Uh, what what advice do you have in terms of writing? In terms of getting a show? I don't. Quit. <laughs> no, no. Paula doesn't want competition. <laughs> um, honestly, 
if it comes from your heart, it's going to be a lot funnier. Hmm. Um, the stuff that you're afraid to talk about, that's what you need to talk about. That's where you need to go. Everybody's different. Um, I know guys who are just phenomenal one-liners, guys who are great at ad-living, great at improv. My strength in comedy is storytelling. I was never set up punchline type of guy. I was always, now I'm going to tell you my story, and then you tell me if you think it's funny, which is hard for me because you know now most of my stories are long, so it's when I got to do like a five-minute set, it's really hard for me to get into the story. Yeah, But... Be yourself. A lot of people, they're trying to be the next George Carlin, next Robin Williams, next whomever. Don't be them. Be you. You're yeah. going to go a lot farther as yourself. A lot further as yourself is going to be more true as yourself. Don't be who you're not. Hmm. And you got to, however hard you think you got to work, you got to work 10 times harder. Let's say uh, you have a five minute bit. Hmm? How long are you, how long is it taking you to write that five minute bit? Is that like pages and pages or is it sometimes just like you write it down and you're like, yep, that's it. Or do you rewrite it over and over again? How does that? Usually starts off an idea and then it gets many, many pages and just gets whittled down, whittled down, whittled down. And, you know, we're the only art form to where you have to practice in front of people. Musicians can practice in a garage, can practice in a studio. You don't know anything's funny until you tell it. That's a great point. <laughs> that is more difficult. I mean, if you're an artist, you can start over. If you're a painter, you can start over. As a comic, once you said it, you said it. And a lot of the jokes, where they start and where they end, I mean, you probably tell it about two, three hundred times before you get it right. And it's hours of driving, hours of practicing, hours, hours, hours of writing. My first, okay, let's say I'm up to about 35 minutes tour I can do, I believe, anywhere in the country. It's taken me six years to get to that point. Given I don't get up as much as a lot of the guys do, but I'm kind of, you know, even a little bit ahead of the game. Like a lot of the guys, they're not hosting shows until about four, four or five years in. Right. Well, and I mean, yeah. you're doing this all well also through having a career in what physical therapy is that? Exercise physiology. Exercise physiology. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... <clears throat> Equally no joke. You know, obviously there's a lot of things in your brain for for work. It's not just it's not just comedy all the time. You're not like an 18, 16 year old kid who can just sit down and write and go to college and sit in his dorm room and write or you know. And that's where I think why some of my jokes are so funny is because I live my life. You know, uh, some guys, I mean, if you're up doing comedy, you know, and that's all you do. You're not going to be as good as the other people because you need a different perspective. You need to bring in a different thing. You need to live your life. One of my favorite comedians is Gary Goldman. And he posts something every day on Twitter, a writing tip to make you a better comedian. Nice. And some of the things I'm just like, holy crap. Gary you know? Goldman? Gary Goldman. He does one about the abbreviations of the states. It's one of the funniest damn things I've ever seen. I actually think I saw him. Totally saw him at yeah, Ann Gary, Arbor Comedy Club. Gary Coleman's fan. He is he is phenomenal. Yes, Katie and I. Katie, I mean, I'm sure you know how. Like, if you just go and say, "I'm going to go to those are dogs under the door." <laughs> there are dogs it's, going it's spirits. <laughs> yes. It's the lady with the green eyes. They're bad. <laughs> it's a redheaded lady. <laughs> 
if you if you go to a random comedy show just at a club somewhere, mm-hmm. it's going to be hit or miss. Like yeah. sometimes it's going to be good, sometimes it's going to be eh. But you know, Katie bought tickets for a random weekend. Was like, I think it'd be fun to go to a comedy show. Okay, yeah, sure. And we went, and he was the one headlining, yeah. and couldn't have picked a better night. Oh, no, he's one of he's probably one of the best comics out there right now. He's he's amazing. Yeah, he's and the. Okay, here's here's another question. So the way he handled hecklers was the best that I've ever seen. I haven't been to that many comedy shows, but I've been to enough to where, you know, I see when people are starting to be dicks. And, you know, a lot of times those people just get kicked out. But uh, sometimes the heckling, you're like, okay, it's, it's kind of funny for a minute, but then it's, it's done. And he just handled it so well. You know, it's just this group of, like, old ladies that are drunk and they're out for a good time and they're just won't stop commenting about what he has to say. And just the way that he passive aggressively and subtly just ripped into her was fantastic. How do you handle hecklers? Oh, that's one thing I actually need to work at a little bit. Um, A lot of the time I ignore them. I don't give them a chance. And especially for how fast paced that I go in my material, it's not easy to get a word in. Every once in a while, you just got some people who just don't shut up. Uh, some places, the management will tell them once, and they'll remove them. I'm usually nice about it the first couple times, and then maybe I'm not so nice about it. Like usually, the first time they do it, it's like um, it's like easy lumpy. We'll be right with you. You know, just something. Just like it's like, listen, lady. This isn't your therapy session, all right? If you want to start talking, then you're going to have to pay more money. You know, or just yeah, yeah, like just little lines. And it's like, how many people want this person to shut up? <laughs> all right, everybody, tell this person to shut up. On three, you ready? One, two, three. Shut up, you know. Yeah. And a lot of times, that does, some people tear into people. I I don't do that because that can that can ruin a show. It gets uncomfortable. Yeah. To a, at a certain point, what is has there ever been a time when you're like? I handled that poorly. I should I should not have done that. Or like, yeah. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. yeah. Tell me, I want to hear about it. Time. Worst time ever dealing with a heckler. <laughs> I was doing a bar show, and I was just getting really, this guy from start to finish had a comment yelling out every single joke. That, and it really, when it happens a few times, it doesn't really throw you off. But sometimes, I mean, this guy just would not stop. He was being rude. I said, sir, are you drunk? He goes, yeah. I said, good. I hope you walk into traffic. <laughs> and, and and it really, Whoa. the room got really quiet afterwards. Like, okay, I think I went too far with that one. <laughs> and this was asking him a few times, probably, say, sir, can you, you know, we're not here to see you. You know, open mic nights on this night. Why don't you come back that day? And it finally, after about 40 minutes, I had enough. And I finally just said that. And I was like, I really kind of handled that poorly I, like, nah. I shouldn't have said that but. i mean in fairness probably at that point somebody uh, management should have asked the guy to leave or yeah. warn the guy I, I guess that's a yeah the heckler i feel like that's less on the com- the comedian and more on the the people that run the place but at the same time that place is going i mean they're here because they want to like this is what they like to do and they're paying us money assuming that they're <laughs> buying drinks you know, so people, they got to him, say, no heckling, pal. He's like, listen, I don't need help. 
I said, I, I said, I, I didn't write a part of this joke for you. You know, let me do it. Okay. Right. You know? Right. And I try to be nice about it because it's not on my on stage demeanor to be an asshole. But every once in a while, you know, and you're going to start getting more when you headline. Because I did one where I was doing about the, some guy named Mitch. And this guy stands up. He goes, my name's named Mitch. I'm like, well, wasn't that fucking lightning? You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I said, Jesus Christ, I stopped the show for that. Sit down, Mitch. (laughs) (laughs) So that bachelorette parties are the worst. Ah, yes. God, they with their penis straws or penis balloon and that unicorn penis that they have on their forehead, you know, just like right when you see them, they're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Every cause. Time to become Freud for a moment. Let's talk about all those penises that you're envying. (laughs) It's like, uh, mine's bigger. <laughs> but my, I mean, most of the time at comedy shows, people are there to have fun. They're there to laugh. Yeah. You're going to get idiots. And it really just depends where you are. Like Comedy Castle, the new club in one night stands to, and even an Ann Arbor showcase, they kind of give you one warning. You do it again, they kick you out. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's how, that's really how it should be. And, and it's, it's solely, it's one thing again, like, if you're having fun and somebody says something like, I mean, even the the guy who you did a joke about Mitch and his name's Mitch, like whatever he says, my name's Mitch. It's actually kind of funny the way you handle it. Yeah. As long as he doesn't say anything else, it's fine. Like it's just he's trying to be funny. Whatever the guy gets his second in the in the spotlight, and you forcibly you you take the bulb, crush it, and let the pieces fall on him and stab him on the way down. Like I I mean I I think into there's a there's a point where I guess people are there to have fun. And so they're trying to have fun with you, but there's, there definitely is a line where it's like either it's just really obnoxious because nobody's there to hear Bertha tell her a joke or make her comments. Like the, the people are the worst. Cause sometimes people they'll like say your joke or whatever. And that doesn't bother me too much, but it does throw off your timing. A little oh, bit. it's like people who have seen your show a few times and, they, or even uh, like sometimes with, my material you got to pause for about two seconds and people is like got to blurt something out and Patton oswald did me goes are you afraid that goblins are gonna come out of the ground and rape you if they're silence or something <laughs> oh my god they're silence for more than a second ah! <laughs> and that's how a lot of people are it's like they can't handle the silence but if you really got them and everyone's just hanging on your word you know i usually i try and go fast enough but some people are really good at handling hecklers. That's something I need to work on. One of my buddies actually has got a YouTube video, video of it. Somebody throws a dildo at him. Oh, my God. It was one of the funniest damn things I've ever I could not stop. From a bachelorette party? From a bachelorette party. <laughs> Jeff Horst, he's actually a local comic. He's moved out to L.A. He was doing a show up at Dr. Grin's, and this lady, he was talking about dildos. Ladies brought one out. He goes, you got one of those. Well, And you see the next <laughs> scene is his dick just flying across <laughs> and landing right in front of him. I could not stop laughing when I saw that. Hey, that, I mean, whatever. If that makes you viral, that's fine. <laughs> I would just, I don't know what to do if somebody threw a dick at me on stage. <laughs> be like, so they're going to like a little penis with wings. and they're gonna Well, if you're talking about the Catholic Church, you a lot should spurn your mind, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, just that's why it helps. There, there's like no substitute for stage time. That's why I try to perform in different type venues. 
like there's ones I know I'm not going to do well at like alt comedy rooms. I, I never do well at those. So I just, What's it called? Alt, alt comedy? Alt comedy. It's like a different type of comedy. It's, what's the word I'm looking like for? Darker? Or? A little darker, more of the social justice, people who are woke type things. Oh, yeah, bye. My comedy would not go over well. Yeah, yeah. No. And So basically you can't be a white male and per, perform there very easily <laughs> unless you you're gay. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. But like I've done small towns. I've done urban rooms and black rooms. And funny is funny. That's what right, I've learned. Right. And yeah, and the, and when it's like you're funny ethnically, you know, you get the Italian jokes, and that's I feel like that that cross. I mean, I loved it, yeah. you know, I'm not black. I'm the furthest thing from being black, but I like a lot of comics that are black are like when they talk about their families, it's very funny, you know, and it's just because of the animation and the voices and the it's just so extreme. That I, I I feel like there's a lot of similarities between that Italian yeah. culture and the African American yeah, culture. That, that there's there's some similarities there. So. Did one in uh, Saginaw. It was the guy running for county commissioner, and it was an all black room. And I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know how this is gonna go. One of the best shows I've ever had. And one of the guys afterwards, he came up to me. He goes, I gotta tell you, he goes, you're one of the funniest white boys I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank and, you. and then he goes, the way he goes, just the family. He goes, it was the family stuff. And when you did the church and your mom beating your ass in church, every single person here has been through that. Because <laughs> they were laughing so hard when I did that bit or I did the, you know, the lone shark with the list, you know, fabulous. They laughed so hard at that joke. And he goes, you were funny because you were real. Hmm. And this is what I got back to earlier. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I do it. I don't swear a whole lot. I mean, if I'm doing half hour, 40 minutes, I may swear three times. Huh. But it's just, it's like I was taught, I mean, some guys do it all the time. Some guys don't do it at all. But I learned it's like seasoning food. If you put too much in, it's not going to be good. And where I do it, it's for, because it amplifies the joke. If I if I don't put it there, it doesn't belong there. Like, I'm not going to say it just to say it. Right, right. Yeah, some people you're just, I don't need to hear the F word again. Like, it just doesn't, it's not funny anymore. Like, mm -hmm. there is something funny about the F word. Like, it just it's, is. It's how you say it. <laughs> but it, yes, yes, there's so many different ways to say it. But it's just, you just can't say it to say it. It stops being funny after about mm, 15 seconds. One of my best jokes, and I call it back uh, two times in my act, is where I drop the F bomb. But it's it's how I do it, and it's why I do it. It's not just to do it. It's how my uncle, he can't pronounce a word, and he uses it, and the F-bomb kind of replaces the word, and that's what makes it so funny. Uh, yeah. You know, like, because my uncle's, you know, we didn't speak English. We spoke Italian growing up. It was a mix of Italian and English. And my uncle's been in this country for 40 years, but he still can't say cocksucker. <laughs> He's like, you know, this guy owe me money for two months, that fucksucker. <laughs> And even what I'm doing, I still got to do the hand motion, even though I'm on a podcast. I still got to do yes, the hand motion. Yes, I know. Yes, if you you can't see this, but basically this entire time, <laughs> Paulo's hands have been moving. They've been going, making shapes. My uh, hands haven't stopped moving since I got in here. <laughs> that that is true. Which is which is you know right along the Italian lines. That's 
It's perfect. That's why the Fitbit makes me look like I walk more than I have. My hands are always going like that. You took 60,000 steps today. No, and I just talked to somebody for 30 minutes. Yeah, I was just describing my day. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, Well, let's uh, tell everyone where they can find you. Well, next, what do I have coming up next? Oh, shit. Well, the best way to find out where I'm going to be next is look me up on paolobuzignani.com. It's P-A-O-L-O. B-U-S-I-G-N-A-N-I. If you still don't get it, go to Instagram. It's at Italian Funny Man. Same as on Twitter, Italian Same Funny Man. And if you go there, you can see a lot of the jokes that I post. Check me out on YouTube. or Then you go to my website. And if you want an email, I'll send you an email. I'll let you know where I'm going to be. Cool, yeah. And we'll uh, we'll link to all those in the show notes. So I'll just so click I'm, down there in the show notes. They'll be in there. So I have some stuff coming up. Some small shows coming up in June. I'm featuring for my friend Tanya Murray at the Holly Hotel, which is haunted of all places. Perfect. First hey. time I was there, I was heckled by a ghost. That was amazing. <laughs> I'm going to be at the Comedy Castle in the fall. Where's the Comedy Castle? You've talked about it a few times. Royal Oak. It's one of the best uh, venues in the country, actually. Really? It's in, uh, okay. it's in Royal Oak. A lot of, uh, all the big names, they all went through there. Awesome. And uh, I'll be hopefully at Big Tommy's sometime during the summer. Okay. I'll talk to Billy. I'll get out there. All right. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll post all the links to everything that you could need to be able to go listen to Paolo. And uh, any any final thoughts before we sign off? For yeah. The if there's a lady with like green eyes and red hair, you might want to get the hell out of your house. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you. Thank you for having me, Mark. Hey, really absolutely. It. it was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. We'll to do this again. Definitely. And uh, you, again, you can find Paolo on Twitter at Italian funny man. Italian funny man. And you can also find this podcast on Twitter at Mark Splaining. Uh, I'm just not going to explain how to spell the words. Because <laughs> just, just take the word Mark and Splaining and, and throw them together. You'll find it. Links are also in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you guys soon.